Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm May. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And this one is actually the second time we've tried to record this. The first one was an absolute cracker, but there was some obstacles in our way, let's just say, to release it. So our special guest today has very kindly agreed to come back and redo it and give us the exclusive to why we couldn't release the first one. Now, I'm very excited by this because I've known this guy for a long, long time, and I have, from afar, watched his meteoric rise as a player and now as a coach and as a bloody good bloke. And he's also the man who sings our theme tune because he has got quite the set of pipes on him. He is big and handsome. He's a fantastic rugby player. He is the one, he is the only, Mr. Kelly Brown. Yes. Yes, I'm very well, and it is good to see you. Now, let's start from the very beginning. Where are you? Uh, I am in St. Albans right now. Uh, Yeah, so I came down... I moved back about a week and a half ago, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I think in future, in future years, everyone's going to say, you know, so what did you do during the pandemic? I'm going to say uh, I moved house uh, <laughs> about three or four times. So it's been it's been an interesting year, but um, uh, everyone's got their challenges, and and uh, at least we've not been bored. You've you've definitely not been bored. So you're now in St Albans, but you were yes. in Glasgow. Now we recorded yes. a pod, and I got very excited. And then you gave me a phone call and said, "H.A., I'm leaving Glasgow and I'm going back to Saris." So we decided not to release it. So this is us ding ding round two. So you've left Glasgow and you've gone back to Saracens. What was the background to that? So it was basically, uh, as I said, so we. I got, a phone, I got a phone call about July time um, asking if I'd like to go up and take uh, and take the role up at Glasgow. So so uh, I was really excited and that sort of stuff. Um, and so uh, I agreed to that. But it was really short in terms of the time frame. And so and we had to get our family up there because my oldest daughter is doing exams and that sort of stuff. So, so it, it was pretty stressy. And then... Um, 
and then we had a few issues up in Scotland just with the family settling. Uh, obviously, because of COVID, you know, my wife and kids weren't really allowed to meet anyone. Um, we ended up in Glasgow in a Airbnb, which was far from ideal. Um, and so the family found it found it really hard. And then, and then um, about mid January time, I got a phone call from uh, from Market Saracens and said, you know, there's been a change here, so. Uh, um, Alex Sanderson has gone to sale and so there's a vacancy and we wondered if you'd be interested in coming back and um, and so I spoke to the family and uh, as I said it's been tough to settle it has been tough to settle and so the family said you know we want to go back and it was as simple as that well uh, I say as simple as that I then had to speak to uh, I had to speak to Danny Wilson and to Mark Dodson uh, and Nathan Bombrays, and I got to say everyone at Glasgow and the SRU were were just unbelievable um, and so compassionate to the situation that I found myself in. Um, they were disappointed, but they completely understood. You know, for family reasons, it was the best fit for me and the family to to uh, ultimately come back. That's amazing because it's obviously you, you've got your priorities, rugby is very important, so is your career, but when you leave that training ground or, or leave that stadium, you spend more time with your family than you do in the game and that was what you, what you made priority, but now you've disappeared back down there on your own and left them in Glasgow. <laughs> oh yeah, but they're going to follow it. Is it going to follow? Yeah, so as I mentioned, so my oldest, uh, my oldest has got exams. And so, and so we can't move now. So she needs to stay and do her exams, and then they'll finish sort of around about June time, and we'll come back down here, and we'll get our house back, and so we rented our house out, and so we'll get that back. Um, and they're very excited to sort of get back to to a place they know well, uh, and a and a place that um, all of them have got a lot of friends. So returning to the Saracens family and we, you know, we've heard a lot about Saracens and it's been a roller coaster in the last sort of two to three years, I suppose, at the club, but you've got a strong belonging there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, uh, I had 10 years at the club uh, before I went up to Glasgow. It's a, it's a club I've got, I've got a lot of love for. Um, and over the 10 years we had a lot of highs um over that time obviously it finished with a fairly major low um with with the, all of the salary cap issue uh and with being relegated down into the championship but that in itself i think is um in a funny way is actually is actually quite an exciting opportunity because we get to do it all again and because and because there's no doubt that as a club, we've made some errors, um, uh, but I think a lot of the way that Saracens operates in terms of the culture, in terms of how they care for people and genuinely care. I think people outside say, oh, yeah, of course they do. They just give you a load of money. But it's not that. It's the care. It's the fact that um, every captain's runs from Nigel Ray comes in and just sort of says hi to everyone and shakes everyone's hand. And he doesn't need to do that, but he does it because he genuinely cares about about the players and the staff, um, and so we've got another another journey, uh, another adventure, another challenge, and hopefully another brilliant ten years in front of us. And going to Saris must have been a big deal. How how does it come about? How do you end up getting the call? Is it the agent? Is it a player that you know? How did it work that you ended up at Saris way back? Well, it was it was my agent, um, and so my agent said to me that uh, Saracens could be interested, and Saracens at that point had, had a fair bit of um, of media exposure because the previous summer Brendan Venter had come in as the head coach, and him alongside uh, Edward A. Griffiths, who was the chief exec, so they'd come in and basically let about twenty players go. And there'd been a massive turnaround in the in the playing staff. You know, they'd let a couple of all blacks go, a couple of superstars go, 
but there was a feeling at that stage that, that Saracens had always had superstars but never actually done anything. And so they said, no, 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 we're going to focus on the culture and the environment. And we think if we get good people in a good environment, it's going to lead to success. And then to fast forward, so my agent said, listen, Saracens are interested um, and the head coach would like to speak to you. So Brendan Vendor would like to speak to you. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. So I got the phone. I think he's going to try and sell the club. So what's he going to say? And and the first thing he said to me was, hey, so Kelly, so why do you want to join? And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I, I was thinking, hold on a second. Are you not meant to be selling this to me? or what? Or what? But he he said that because he wanted someone to, or he wanted me to prove, you know, that I was passionate about the project, um, which at that stage I didn't know uh, a lot about it. So I sort of mumbled a bit of an answer about I want to I want to challenge myself in a different league and all this sort of stuff. And, and then I went down and met him, uh, and um, and we and we showed up at the training ground, and it was locked up, and it was a bit of a sign that it was the right fit. And so we showed up opened the door into the physio room and the alarm went off. And so Edward's at the alarm board and he's like, oh, it's something, it's a battle. It's a famous battle. And what's the code? It's a famous battle. And I was like, well, the battle, it was the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And so we put in, and so we put in 1066 and it worked. And it worked. <laughs> and so I think it was a bit of a sign. I think it was a sign then that, that I was like, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's obviously it's a good fit. Um, in saying that, I'm just hoping that it's been changed now or anyone can get into the training ground. I'm very keen because they know the code, but I'm just assuming that 10 years later it's been changed. Uh, uh, between recording this and this going out, can you make sure you speak to somebody at Sari Security yeah. that they've changed the code and it's no longer exactly. 1066? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So um, how, how did they know that you were a good person? Where does that come from? It's never in doubt. Don't get me wrong. It's never no, in doubt. No, I, but... I don't know what to say to that. I, I, they, um, it's when they speak to other players, to other coaches. They say, you know, and we still do this now. So any player that comes, there's a thorough... I'm not sure if investigation is the right word, but there's a thorough, a thorough process to find out is this, is this person the sort of person we want in our environment, um, and we don't always get it right. And there have been a couple of people that have come in, have found it hard, have not really fitted in, and have left. Um, but it's such an, it's such an important part because, because we believe that if we've got good people. In a good environment, um, and they're talented rugby players. It's going to lead to to um, a bit of success. And on the on the success thing, it was something else that um, I was asked by them um, on the first. I came down and I met them, and they said, "So why we're we here? So what's the point of Saracens?" And I said, "Well, it's to win, is it not?" And they said, "But but why? Why? Because." Even if you win, even if you get a cup, it's got to go back. It's never yours. So what's the point in all that effort if if you don't even get to keep anything? I was like, well, yeah, but it's the memories. And they said, exactly, exactly. And that's why we're here, is to make some memories. Nice. And so if you go down to the, um, if you go down to the stadium, uh, which is now called the Stonex Stadium, um, above the tunnel and the last thing you see before you go out onto the pitch it says let's make some memories and I just thought that the um, it was amazing and it was so clever so they never spoke about winning is they always just spoke about if we do this this and this it's going to be a it's going to be a brilliant um, memory and that's all we're chasing now it's evolved a little bit over time with with a bit of success, and we do now now sort of speak a bit more about um, about uh, winning. But I just thought it was such a it was such a good way 
to approach it. And that was memories on the pitch, but also off the pitch, um, of which I made a lot as well. And and we see some of them with you and Jim Hamilton doing your carpool karaoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just stuff like that. So just just essentially, like just messing around with our mates. So we work hard, which we do uh, as any as any sort of half decent rugby team will do. It'll work hard, but also when we're off the pitch and you know, we have a lot of fun and we enjoy each other's company. I've been fortunate there to get on some some amazing trips. So it's an ascendant so once or twice a year on trips all around the world, which we're seeing from outside as a bit of a gimmick. But for us, it was about us as a group making memories together and spending time together because when you're at home, is there's always the pressure to go and train and to get home and to go and see the family or go and see other friends or whatever. When we're away, it's just us as a group, and so we spend that time together. Because if we if we understand each other better, then on the pitch it's going to help. And we got to do some pretty cool things on some of these trips. I bet you did. I heard a story about Exeter once. This was a while ago before they started winning, and they had a bonus structure where I think if they finished in the top four, they got. They got a week uh, a week in Benidorm or something. If they finished in the top half of the table, they got a weekend in Blackpool. But if they won it, they got a week in Vegas. And that was everybody. But I, I don't know if that was ever true, but I kind of like that idea. It's like you're saying about making memories. There's the memories you can make with a trophy or a medal around your neck, but those don't happen for everyone. And they, they can be quite fleeting. That's the one in Cool Runnings where... The coach said, you know, I think Julius system, why did you do it? And he said, because I wanted to win. But if you're never enough without the medal, you're never going to be enough with it. And and I love that. And that's the, I've listened to so many things during this period of people saying, you have to enjoy it. You had to be passionate about it. You have to celebrate the success. And you boys obviously enjoyed celebrating success and you had so much of it. Yeah, yeah. And also... And also, it wasn't a bonus. Uh, it wasn't a bonus structure uh, that we had. But you do things like so. I remember in my first year. So in pre-season, we went to Biarritz, and in a week there, that's a that's a, an unbelievable spot. And we trained, but we also got to enjoy ourselves. Um, <laughs> and then, and then we played. I think it was four games. Played Northampton on the Sunday. On the Monday morning at 6.30, we flew out to Munich and went to Oktoberfest for a day. <laughs> for a day. And so we got to this place. Uh, <laughs> and so we got there at uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, walked into the beer tent, which are these like, sort of massive, massive halls with about sort of 5,000 people in them. Walked in. There's a guy getting carried out. <laughs> well, this is going to be an interesting spot. We were there. We were there until until ten o'clock, and then we had to jump on the train and get the train back to the airport to fly out that night. <laughs> and one of the guys got 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 on the wrong uh, on the wrong train and ended up and ended up missing the flight and all this sort of stuff. But then, then even more nuts, and this is a professional team, obviously. And so we trained the next day, and so we trained at two o'clock the following afternoon. And the coach said to us, "Say, listen, we understand that you guys are probably not going to be in great shape for this. All we ask is that you show up, work like hell, and learn in the session." And so everyone just pitched up and did it and didn't complain and did it. But but it's a sort of thing, you know, what an amazing memory. So I'm I'm still gonna speak to like uh, all, all my mates, you know, that I played with in that season and say, What about that? What a memory that was. What a memory that was, as opposed to all of the games. There are certain games to play with you, but stuff like that, what an what an amazing memory. 
Hello, my name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg-Shaped. You wait for a podcast and then two come along at once. I am looking forward to introducing to you Murray Field and Me, a love story by Bruce Aitchison. I have spent so many happy days in Murrayfield Stadium. I could watch the grass grow. It is a place where I have so many memories. Happy, sad, because let's face it, I'm a Scottish rugby fan, but memories all the same. I've met good people, I've built strong relationships, and I would go back tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. It is an amazing place to watch rugby, and everybody knows happiness is egg-shaped at Murrayfield. So join me on the podcast, Murrayfield and Me, a love story by Bruce Aitchison. Right, here, here's one for you. How many games in your career can you remember the score of? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, there's a few, but I think I counted it up once. I think I played over 350 professional games. So I played a lot of games. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, there's a few, but not a lot of them. And, and it's amazing because so much of professional sport hangs on the result. Yeah, yeah. You know, Scotland at the weekend – they they lose by a kick. They could easily of what you know uh, those fine margins that we hear about yeah. and all those kind of things. But those memories that you've got weren't hanging on a fine margin, really. They were, yeah. and they they're made memorable because of the people you shared them with. And that's the point I've come to in life that I think has happened through sport. But and now the more I can see, the more I can apply it to life. It's build relationships, share experiences, make memories. Those are those are my three things. And yeah. rugby has allowed me to do that. And, and I'm getting to speak to, to people like you and, and to chew these things over and to hear your memories. So it's an absolute joy. Now, what makes me laugh is you are wee Kelly from Melrose. And yeah. you're now Kelly Brown, professional coach at Saracens, 10 years. You've got a trophy cabinet full. You've been Scotland captain. But it all started at the Melrose Club. And that's a great grounding. Oh yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, yeah, yeah. The only bad thing about it is it's probably it's too close to Gala. But apart from that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, yeah, it was, it was what brilliant place you know to grow up. Like I started playing when I was about five. I think I started playing um, rugby at Ball Boy at Melrose, and it was the great. Melrose teams of the 90s, so you had your Chammerses and your Red Paths and your Dobby Weirs and Graham Shield. It was pretty much the Scotland team. Yeah. And what, and that was, and that was even before, um, it was even before the game went professional. And so what inspirational figures that I, uh, I had around me all the time, like I'd be in the tunnel with them, I'd be doing all this sort of stuff and they would, and they treat you well and treat you as a Melrose boy. And you always were like, well, I want to one day, I want to grow up, I want to play for Melrose, I want to play for Scotland, all this sort of stuff. So I was incredibly fortunate, I think, to be brought up in that in that, in that that area and, um, and, and, with, and with the influences that I had around me. And then, and I think, you know, that, that luck has carried on. Yes, I've worked hard which I have, but I consider myself fortunate to have been given the opportunities that I have and to, and to have been able to achieve a bit of stuff. And, uh, uh, but there's still a lot of things I want to, I want to achieve and I'll keep on working hard and see where it takes me. And do you think you've become the Kelly Brown you've become because you could see it. It was something that was real. It was happening there in front of you. There's a lot of the moment around, rugby in certain areas and you know they've not it doesn't look like there's too many barriers so they can't achieve could did you look at carol hogg and doddy weir and graham shield and craig chalmers and brian redpath did you look at these guys and think well that's just what happens here um i'm not i'm not sure if, if it was that i was definitely inspired by them like i was definitely inspired by them because i saw them I saw them, you know, turning out for Melrose, and and they were 
and they were really good, like because the, because that side had been everyone, um, yeah. and they were brilliant. And then and to get to Bournemouth for them, and we'd have crowds of five or six thousand, and it was just amazing. It was amazing. I used to love my Saturdays. I'd go down to the green yards at ball boy after the game would be out on the pitch for an hour or two afterwards, you know, like dad's in the bar and then we go home and be Baywatch and then be gladiators <laughs> and blind date and then casualty and then bed. That's a pretty good Saturday. That That's is a apart, apart from casualty. That is absolute go. You missed the A team, but I'll let you off for that one. But that is, that is, yeah, class. that is class. That was on a Sunday of the eighteen, and I was banned from watching it. And so my brother and I got banned because we used to kick the crap out of each other after. Oh wow! Oh well, to be more honest, he used to he used to kick the crap out of me afterwards. So we got banned from watching it. I love it. And then you you played Scotland Sevens. You played for the Borders and. Did could you see the pathway? Could you see where you were going, or were you just making the best of where you were? I just so I didn't play Scotland under 15, so they had a Scottish schools under 15s back then. Um, I didn't make that. It was funny. I always, I always thought as a kid, I, 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 I always sort of wanted to play for Scotland, and and always had this this kind of weird inkling that I thought I would. Um, it's maybe easy to say that now in hindsight, you know, because I have, but I did always have this feeling, but then I didn't, I remember as a 14 year old and I didn't make Scottish schools under 15s and being absolutely gutted by that, but it probably helped because there's a bit of fuel added to the fire. And then I was lucky. I played under 16s. I played two years under 18s. I also got into the Scottish Institute of Sport. And so uh, Bob Eason was coaching me. And he was a brilliant guy for me, a brilliant mentor and someone uh, and someone that I owe a lot to. And and, um, um, and so I, I had him there. He was guiding me at school. I had Rob uh, Moffat, who obviously you know well, who then coached me uh, at the Borders as well and Scotland 7. So, so... I had some really good uh, uh, coaches around me that sort of helped me, and I also had had um, uh, and my dad's influence. Who, who, I never wanted to waste any ounce of talent that I had, and I didn't know how talented I was, but I just. It was hammered into me of a story that he would tell me all the time of these two players from Melrose um, who were very, very similar in terms of talent growing up, apparently. Um, one of them worked unbelievably hard um, and got 60-odd caps for Scotland and is a lion. The other one um, didn't achieve uh, as much. And, and I... And I never wanted to look back and think, oh, no, what if, what if? And uh, and some people are fine with that, and some people don't don't want to go on and play for Scotland and the Lions, and they want to have a different life, and that's completely fine. But uh, I really, really wanted to, and as I said, I never wanted to look back and think, oh, I could have done that if maybe I'd just done a bit more. Geez, you've, you've got some CV, though. And talking about trips, what was it like being in the Scotland Seven squad? Oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. So my first... Um, I was still a student at the time. So it was 2004. I was still a student in my final year. And I got called up. And the first one I went to, it was Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, I was there. It, it was amazing. Amazing. And that year... And that year, so there was uh, there was twenty four teams, and so I think after the first after the first sort of two days, because it was Friday night and then Saturday, yeah. and then the finals day was Sunday, and after the first two days, it got split into three different sort of tournaments: so first to eighth, ninth to sixteenth, and the Yeah, and so we, and so we won two of our pool games and lost, I think, to England. But as a consequence, so we went into the plate. And then we won the plate. 
And so we played in the second last game of the tournament on the Sunday. So we're in it the whole way up. Whereas the following year, we actually got into the cup and then lost in the quarterfinals and we were done. And it was rubbish. And so we got... <laughs> it, well, it's just a bit of a, okay, we're done now. And it's and there's still another four or five hours of sevens to go. Um, and so to be in it right up until the second game, uh, sorry, the second last game, and our final was against the French. And as you know, in Hong Kong, for some reason, everyone, everyone hates the French. When I mean, there's literally a chance, stand up if you hate, if you the, hate French. the French, stand up if you hate. Yeah, I was there, <laughs> and I've got no idea why. I've got no idea why, but it was amazing, and the place was bouncing, and it was my first experience of really playing in a big stadium with an amazing crowd, and I was like, wow, this is, this is. Unbelievable, and I loved it, and I loved the sevens. I didn't. I played probably, probably five or six uh, tournaments on the series, and then I also played three tournaments to qualify for the two thousand five World Cup. So the European qualifiers, which were in in Georgia, <laughs> uh, and then in Russia, and then the final. And so the finals to qualify was in Magaluf in July. <laughs> I think genuinely. Genuinely. And so it was nuts. And so we showed up at the hotel and it was an 18 to 30 hotel. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is all true. And so we're trying to get to sleep the night before a really important tournament. So we need to qualify for the Seventh World Cup. And we can't get to sleep because the bloody cabaret is going on beside the pool. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. My mum's only feedback on these pods are that I laugh too much and she can't hear what the person says next. <laughs> but I'm loving that. I'm absolutely loving that. It was ridiculous. It, honestly, it was ridiculous. I'm, I was... I was young and a bit so naive at that point. I'm phoning down to reception asking if they can put the cabaret down. <laughs> Genuinely. I remember sitting on the phone, yeah, sure. I was trying to get to sleep. The Hello, is that is that Granddad Brown? Yeah, exactly. What's the thinking? It's an 18 to 30 club hotel. What do you expect? <laughs> who, who was the, the Scotland Simmons manager that booked that? Uh, who was it? Who was, was it? That it pump? Was, was that John Manson? No, no, no. It was before Pump. It might have been. It might have been Roy. Uh, <laughs> Either Roy or Pete uh, Gallagher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was mental. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, I mean, on the plus side, after we qualified, it was a, it was a good night out at the end. Of yeah, it. I'll bet it was. Just, just looking back now, I'm like, who arranged that? <laughs> I would love that to happen now. I mean, there's no way that's going to happen now. No way no. is no. that going to be allowed. But those are, we're back to something you said earlier. What a memory that is! I was playing a Simmons tour at Magaluf in the middle of the summer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. I played for Scotland, a World Cup qualifier. Orton Sevens tournament in Magaluf in July. Like, 
doesn't make any sense. But there's there's some there's somebody at World Rugby going right. Where will we have the qualifiers? Where will we have? Uh, what about Magaluf, that hotbed of rugby sevens? That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> Incredible. Unless someone just fancied a trip to Magaluf in July and thought, uh, okay, well, we'll yeah. do the tournament there. Hundred percent. Your your history with sevens. You, I mean, you're from Melrose, so you're from where yeah. it all started. Yeah. And then you played for Scotland. You played in Hong Kong. You won a trophy in Hong Kong. But then you got to take your beloved Saris back to Melrose. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool, actually. So I um It would. When would it have been? Uh, two thousand and twelve. And basically, I. I was injured at the time, so in the January I was asked to be Scotland captain for the first time, and then I played for Saris over in in Treviso and went down in um in a ruck and felt something it in my legs sort of sort of go or pop or whatever it was, um and it turned out it was a dislocated fibula, and so and so I was out I was out for six months in the end, but um but uh, about three weeks before. Melrose Severn, so around the middle of March, I got a phone call from the then Melrose president, uh, John Reed, yep. who's a family, um, he's a family friend, so he was a vet alongside, alongside my dad and our business partners you know, for 30 years. And so he called me and said, one of the overseas teams have pulled out, uh, would you like to send a team up you know, from Saris? And so, and so I was thinking, yes, I'd love to bring a team up. But phone and spoke to Mark um, McCall and said, "Listen, we've been offered this. It's it's where seven started. I think it could be really, really good if we send the team, uh, just a, an academy team up um, with a couple of senior guys, you know, and go up and be a, an amazing experience." And so he said, "Yep, it will send a team, uh, and you're in charge." And so, and so, nice. To come up, yeah, it was amazing. I was like, "This is brilliant." This is brilliant. So it's so to get to go back and not being at the sevens for a few years. And so to get to go back and just go back, I'm incredibly proud to be from Melrose. And what better day to show to show the town than on Sevens Day, you know, to your friends from from down uh, um, in St Albans. And so uh, I was incredibly proud. I was incredibly proud to bring these guys up, and we were, and again, we we were um, we were lucky enough to win it, and so again, a brilliant experience in spite of almost losing in the first round to Aberdeen Grammar School. It was nineteen seventeen, like, and I was thinking, if we lose here, this is going to be the most awesome weekend I have ever had, I've ever had, but but. We managed to scrape through that one, and then we got better and better as it went on, and uh, and beat Jed in the final, which is always I, nice. I remember seeing you out the back of the clubhouse, and you just looked like, right, we've got to warm up. Where are the boys? We've got to get to there. There's a game on, and you were your head was just spinning. But I yeah. take it in that final, were you able to enjoy it as a coach? Then were you able to enjoy what was going on, or were you too engrossed? Were you tense because it was? I'm coming home. How, how did it feel during that moment in the game? In the first game, it was rubbish because I was thinking if we lose in the first round, this could this could be quite embarrassing because there was a bit of there was like you know we we won the premiership of um, a year and a half before, and so and so you know Saris were were quite a quite a big club by then. I was coming back yeah. and I was thinking, God, if we're losing the first round, this is going to be brutal. This is going to be brutal. But we won that. And then after that, to be fair, we went to strength. We went from strength to strength. And then I think we put 50 on Jed in the final. And so and so it got it got slightly more enjoyable as the day went on. And then with a brilliant night out, so we're in the tent, you know, with the bar and the band day. John Beatty Senior's band was on, and I went up and sang a song, and it was uh, yeah, it was a good night. It was a good night. 
Nice. And for the, some of those boys, the one I remember was that Nils Mort, who is yep. the man that was sort of pulling the strings, he was he was immense through that tournament. What did they yeah. make of this coming back to the grassroots, I suppose? How did they enjoy the experience? Oh, so they loved it. So someone like Nils had played England Sevens, like a, like a really good player. He played, he played Sevens around the globe. But I think... I think all of the boys really appreciated, you know, the history of the place and the fact that it was founded here. I mean, the, I mean, the World Cup is called the Melrose Cup, and so uh, and that's the history of the place. Um, but I was a little bit nervous about, you know, some of the younger guys, you know, London boys, you know, city slickers. I'm thinking, are they going to enjoy this? Like it's uh, it's sort of quite rural. But not to a man. They all absolutely loved it and um, and really enjoyed the whole of the weekend. Hi, my name is Sean Phelan and I am the producer of the Happiness Is podcast. But if you want a podcast that focuses on the grassroots side of rugby, check out my show, The Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable, where we discuss the biggest issues in grassroots rugby in the UK with a different panel of players, coaches and volunteers each week. Listen now at all your favourite podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or visit fybrugby.com. And that's, you You played a big part in giving them that chance, giving them those opportunities, and that's a great thing that older players or coaches or committees are, you know, when they they go on tour to Wales every second year and they want the young guys to go because they want them to experience those things. And I'll bet those guys are now telling stories about the time they won Melrose Sevens and Kelly Brown took us. Well, it's so important. I think that you, it goes back to what uh, you've been speaking about before and they, you enjoy the journey. You enjoy the journey. Uh, and you make some memories, and that was a little bit different. And it wasn't, and we weren't really very professional. And we just sort of rocked up, and we had our sandwiches that we'd been given by the dinner ladies, and that was our fuel, and stuff like that. Which again is a million miles away from some of the professionalism that that goes on. But what a brilliant experience and a memory that that uh, those guys have had, and hopefully, you know, in in years to come, again, you know, when I catch up with them as they'll say, or remember the weekend up in Melrose. Yeah. And I've no doubt they are loving it. Now you, you mentioned you sang a song there. What song did you sing? Uh, Mustang Sally. Of course it was Mustang Sally. What a set of pipes on you, man. Like, have you, did you always sing? Did you, where did that uh, come from? Was it just at the back of the bus? <laughs> yeah. And I did the shows at school. So, so, yeah, you um, guys always had good shows. I was jealous of that. Yeah, so um, Jeff Thompson, who is still there um, at at Earlston High, an amazing man, a brilliant teacher, um, incredibly passionate about about doing about doing the school shows. He does one every year, and he does gala opera as well, which I did as well in my final year at school. And oh, so, did you really? What was yeah, it? Uh, anything goes. Oh yes. Yeah, I was in Anything Goes, um, which again, just a, it was a brilliant week. But Tompy, he's such a star. So he came to, well, he came to my wedding. He came to my brother's wedding and my sister's wedding. He played the organ at my wedding. So like a family friend, um, and it all stems from the support and the encouragement that he gave us to do the school shows. So it's my brother and my sister probably. Both better singers, uh, but they're potentially just not quite as brash as I am, and they don't just go for it quite as often. Uh, but so, no, yeah. So that that's a brilliant thing. I love hearing this because Kelly Brown, Scotland International, you know, not a winger, not of it. You you did some really silly things. You put your head places where you really shouldn't put your head. Yet you were in shows, you were in musicals, you sang songs. You're the kind of person to me who does things because you enjoy them and that then you don't need a reason or an excuse or you don't need, 
you're just doing the thing you really enjoy. How do you instill that in these academy boys you're working with? Because some of them, if you said to them, right, can any you sing? Do you want to be in a musical? They would look at you like you were high. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I don't know. I I just I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the singing aspect and the other thing as well. So I did it in my last two years. I had speaking parts. I was I was sort of the second male lead, which which for me was a massive challenge because as you know, I've got a I've got a stammer and and I've stammered my whole life and 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 that was a big challenge. And that's the thing I would say to the academy guys: it just challenge yourself, like because because you don't know what you can do if you're sitting in a comfort zone. And I remember sitting down with with my teacher, so with uh, Jeff, and going through the script and subtly changing my lines to phrases I felt I'd have a better chance of saying and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I remember the first night of the show being absolutely terrified because I was thinking, am I just going to completely jam up? And it's nothing going to come out. And being absolutely terrified, but then I did it. And you know what? The buzz I got was just just incredible. And it's probably why now I love I like doing after dinner speeches. Um, I always, every time, I get nervous before. Every single time, it doesn't matter who I'm speaking to, but when I'm up there and after it, just the buzz and the adrenaline I get because because I've done something I I enjoy, but I've also I've challenged myself and um, and and I've overcome it. I, I, I know what you mean. I, I love after dinner speaking. I, I would love to sing, but unfortunately, I've not got the pipes you've got. I, I was in the school panto when I was a teacher for three years. So having the, the male PE teacher as the, the panto dame for three years caused a bit of stink. But I just I just loved it. But um, you didn't do it to challenge yourself. Don't give me that. You did it because you loved doing it. The challenge just came as something that you needed to overcome because you enjoyed it? I think, yeah, I think I wanted to do it. And I think I always believe, believed that I could do it. But it didn't stop me absolutely bricking myself before I of did course, it. Of course, of course. But did, so, did, were you like that when you played rugby? Were you nervous before you played? I, I used to always get nervous until it kicked off and then we'd go. And then I'd just be like, right, okay, work on the process. Okay, so what do I need to do? And so and so I'd always, yeah, yeah, I'd always get nervous. But then I I just I love this. You know, getting to do this. The people that have come on as guests are people I want to speak to because they're people I either I know or I know they've got a story to tell but because I find them interesting. And I love that you're not just a rugby player. I love that you achieved what you did and I supported you and I was in the stands and and I, I like that that we're mates and I know you. Yeah. But the, the bits that, that make Kelly Brown, Kelly Brown and not just another rugby player is Kelly Brown likes to sing. He joins in the band. He was he performed. He likes to do afternoon speaking. He's a dad. He's a husband. You've got you've got so much, so much around you that makes you interesting and stories to tell. And that's what that Saracens bit I think was. You were more than a rugby player. You were a person who was going to contribute. So the next bit I'm going to ask you: Do you realise how much a role model you are? <sighs> No, I think like it's very kind of you to say that. I, 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 um, I just try and live a life that I feel is the right way to live, and and in a lot of aspects. But at the same time, so so with my stammer, so I do know, and I have had had notes from other stammerers or from parents of kids that stammer. Uh, that that you know they've been inspired by seeing me do something. Um, I'm a patron for the British Stammering Association, and so that again is to raise awareness and and if I can inspire people to do anything, then 
what a what a brilliant thing and i feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do that because because also it makes me feel good if i'm if i am able to inspire someone well there's absolutely no question that you you're inspiring people to be rugby players to be coaches to people who stammer but you're also because you're living life in a certain way people see right that's the way to be that's how you behave that's that's somebody i'm willing to follow now the stammering are you kidding me on you perform (laughs) on stage you sing songs scotland captain a professional coach who has to stand in front of some of the judgiest judging people on the planet, (laughs) professional rugby players who can pick holes in everything, who know all your mannerisms. Like, go figure that one. How on earth have you managed to achieve that and continue to see value in the things that you're doing? So I think a big thing for me, with my stammer was in 2010. So I was, um, I was picked to start the first game in the Six Nations, uh, Scotland against France. And I was asked if I would do an interview uh, for the BBC. And so I agreed. And the interview was on the Tuesday and I was asked on the Monday. And straight away, the only thought in my mind, I had training and everything, but all I'm thinking about is, oh God, I've got to do an interview tomorrow. And genuinely, I just think about it 24-7. I'd wake up on the Tuesday morning, and the first thing I'm thinking about is, oh, God, I've got to do an interview. And then I did it, and it was dreadful, really, really bad. Stammered, I stuttered, and when I did that, I would blink, I would blink, and I would twitch, and I would rub my face, and I I hated it. And so I actually phoned the media manager uh, at the SRU, and I said, could you please ensure that that interview is never shown? never shown um but it was a massive catalyst for me that because it actually forced me to confront it and it forced me to to accept that i had i had two options i could either keep on blaming my stammer i can't do this because of my stammer i can't do that because of my stammer etc etc or i could confront it and i could take it on and and so I did. I went on a speech course in the April of that year, which is it's a four-day intensive course. It's something I still work on now. Uh, some of the things that we have to do are crazy. So on the third day, you've got you've got three hours to go out into the streets and speak to a hundred strangers. <laughs> it's mental. It's just like like with any. Any so-called fluent speaker will be like, why am I going to do that? That's why <laughs> is again, it's to challenge us. So if you face up to it and you've got to go up to people and speak to strangers and then you don't sort of hold back and shy away. And then over a period of time, you actually start to enjoy it and you actually start to understand that people, most people in general are, are pretty nice and people aren't going to judge you and all that sort of stuff. But the big thing it was, was for me anyway, was about that real assertive self-acceptance and accepting, listen, this is me, it's a part of me. And I and and the more I try and fight it, the more it's gonna hold me back. Whereas now I embrace it and I actively and I actively seek out challenges and I've done um so before before the lockdown I did three uh radio commentaries which i'd never done one and i asked if i could do one and i did the first one and it was absolutely dreadful and i hated honestly it was rubbish and i hated every minute of it i hated it but then the following week i said i want to do it again and i went back and it was it was good I was absolutely buzzing, and then I said, "Right, I want to do it again." And then I did it again, and it was all right, but not great. But I'm going to keep on doing that until, at some point, someone's going to pay me to do it. And it's not for the money, it's because I know if I can do that, I've got to a level where where my speech is good enough. And if I can do that, then that's 
would it it would be a big achievement for me. And that's why when I'm coaching, I want to coach. So I'm not going to let the fact I've got a stammer hold me back or stop me from doing anything that I want to do. It's the same as the Scotland captaincy. I understood that as an out-of-control stammerer, if I was the coach, I would probably not have made me the captain. But when I got it under control, which it is now, I've still got a stammer. I'll always class myself as a stammerer. But now, most of the time, I'm in control of it, as opposed to my stammer being in control of me. Yeah, and I just find it amazing that you keep finding these challenges and you've just got that determination to to have a crack. Now, there's rugby, to me, is not just the game, as, as we've already spoken about, and it brings opportunities. Now, one of the ones that always makes me laugh is that you are in the wizarding world. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me I'm not even I'm not even a big Harry Potter fan, but I just I'm I'm probably jealous, but I'm also full of admiration and I think it's amazing. So how how the hell are you in the wizarding world? What has gone on there? So yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a funny one. So um around the time I became Scotland captain, so uh JK Rowling and her uh, and her uh, husband Neil started coming to the Scotland games, and so and so we sort of became uh, friends. And then she wrote myself and uh, Jim and your hog into a Pottermore like a back story. So I think I was a cov- I was a cousin of Lavender Brown. Um, I think that Jim was a relation of uh, Hagrid. <laughs> and I think the hoggy was good at Quidditch or something like this. And so, yeah, so, so we got written into, into um, yeah, into into a story, which was incredible. Which was incredible. Honestly, it was it, it was very surreal, and it's and it's uh, and it's something that people like like ask me about because yeah um yeah i was incredibly fortunate you know to get included in it's it's so good and and to you though she's not jk rowling is she as joe she's joe joe yeah <laughs> yeah so we spent a bit of time with her and i've been, and and uh, i've become sort of friends with her and her um, and her husband and family, and we've been fortunate enough to be invited to a couple of parties, which are oh, quite as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> uh, uh, please tell me they're fancy dress parties. Yeah, always. 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 Does Jim? Does Jim get invites? Surely yeah, Jim he does. does he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of should. They're obviously not that exclusive. <laughs> 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 nah, but, but um, yeah. So there was one oh, a couple of years ago. So yeah, they're yeah, the good parties. Right here's uh, to be honest, Kelly. I didn't really want you on the pod. You are my gateway to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I, just, I, I just need you to make the intro and get J.K. Rowling on the pod. That's what it is. I'm sorry. I'm, we've taken fifty minutes, but I'm just going to cut to the chase. I just You're need her number. Done. Yeah, well, maybe maybe one day I'll get to experience that, Kelly. Yeah. You never know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> so how how often do you see your big mate, Jim? Because the two of you used to crack me up when you did your videos and things with Saris, and you just seemed like you got on so well. Oh, yeah, we do. And, and we've known each other a long time. So the first time, well... I remember the first time I was aware of him was Scotland <laughs> under 19, and we played in the FIRA, which is the under 19 World Cup, over in Chile. And yeah. England had this, and we actually called him, it's, pro- it's not very, very politically correct, so I apologize for this, but we called him the circus freak <laughs> in the second row for England because they had this, this monster, like skinhead. 
six foot eight, looked like uh, what's the name of the guy that plays uh, Jaws? He looked like him in uh, uh, Happy Gilmore. It looked like him, and so that was the first time. But actually, actually, we played against England, and he turned our and he took our line out to the cleaners because our tallest guy was about was about six foot three, and he was six foot eight. He was literally just like plucking everything out there. And so that was the first time I was aware of him. And then fast forward a few years, and I played for uh, Scotland against the Babas, and he actually played for the Babas, and. Uh, and then, and then we met then, and then just uh, over the years, you know, obviously I played a lot of a lot of games with him at Scotland, and then at Saris. I'm a really, really good mates, and and um, yeah, I saw him a fair bit when we were up in Scotland, especially at first because we moved to Edinburgh at first, and he was just around the corner, and so I saw a fair bit of him. Uh, unfortunately, now I don't see him as much. Obviously, that we're down here, but we still speak. Yeah every week um, and he's a really good mate so Kelly you play with Jim at Saris big mate plays with you for Scotland but then you're playing for Saris and then you play against England in the Six Nations what's that like playing against your club mates well it would have been nice to have beaten them a few more times than we managed to do to be honest with you it was just yeah it was it was a bit strange it was um, uh Obviously, obviously, you know these guys so well, and there's all always just a bit of banter. The only one that ever sort of wound me up a little bit was Ashy. So, so Chris Ashton, and we're playing against him, and he's running around saying, "Am I allowed to swear on this or not?" But saying how poor Scotland are, <laughs> and how he's just a wind-up merchant. Honestly, honestly, he's just a wind-up. He's a great guy, Ashy. I've got a lot of time for him. But he's just a winder merchant. He's just a naughty kid that always gets caught. That's essentially that's essentially uh, Ashy in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, so he would tend to run around and and give a bit of abuse, and then he'd run away. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just kind of get used to it over a period of time. Just normal. And what was the chat like when you would go back? Did they give you any stick or? Was there any sort of banter about it? Well, there's the usual stuff about the wooden spoon um, that would come out every now and again. I want a few of them, so unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I would get a bit of grief for them. But it's you know what? It's almost worth it for those days when Scotland win or <laughs> when Scotland finish above yeah. England, which we should by by right we should never do. Because no. it's such a, it's, it's just a smaller player pool and that sort of stuff. So it was brilliant at the start of February. I've got to say, I did enjoy I did enjoy that performance from the Scots. <laughs> yeah, that that was enjoyable, Kelly. It's I love speaking to you. We've not even spoken about the killer bees. There's a whole load of other stuff that we can get to. So I reckon that just all signals to you coming back for a part two. What do you reckon? Oh yeah, I'd love to come back. It's been great to catch up. As as you said, so we. So we know each other so well and have done for a long time. Um, and I hope everyone else enjoys sort of listening to it as much as I've enjoyed just having a chat. Oh, absolutely gold. I love it. Kelly, brilliant to see you. All the best for the move when it happens and all the best at Saris. Uh, I just I just wish you every success. I think you're an absolutely top man and I've loved speaking to you. So thank you very much for taking the invite for a second time to uh, to set the story straight. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. It's been great to chat. And I look forward to seeing you again in the not too distant future. Brilliant. Cheers, Kelly. Thank you very, very much. Absolute pleasure. Well, what an absolute gent. I've got so much admiration for him. He does inspire. He inspires all sorts because of the way he goes about things. He's just a bloody nice bloke and a hell of a rugby player. And he sang the theme tune to the Happiness is Egg Shape pod. What an absolute star. And yes, he had his wee dig about Gala and he had all those things, but we, we love him really. 
folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed talking and listening to the great Kelly Brown. You can catch us in all the normal places you get your podcasts, Acast, Spotify, and Apple. Subscribe, please. Uh, leave us a review if you enjoyed it. If you didn't, then please don't. Uh, you can also catch us on Facebook and YouTube. And I really look forward to you joining us for the next one. My name is Bruce Aitchison from The Happiness Is Pod, and my happiness is egg-shaped. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.